You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. you grab your uh, Bible, turn to Romans 8, and we'll get back into this message. Uh, Some wonderful teaching, good things. Of course, we have come to the one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Now, the first part doesn't get as much mention as some of the last part. The, the very first does. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then we kind of trail off verses 2 through on down into there. But I want to tell you, it is all M-E-A-T. It is all good stuff. Stuff that needs to understand. And listen, uh, this right now may seem a little negative, some of these verses that talks about some negative things, but you cannot fully appreciate verse 1. And then the last verses, if God be for us, who can be against us? If Christ advocates for us, who, who can charge the elect? Uh, all those things you can't understand and fully appreciate and worship God for those until you understand how far away you were. We all deserve hell. We all deserve rejection. He is a holy God and we are the total opposite. And yet he came to us. Hallelujah. And now we can sing songs like Beulah Land. And uh, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, but I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. And right now I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. Amen? (laughs) Well, uh, it's all right to act like a Pentecostal, but you got to believe like a Baptist. Amen? Let's stand together and read these verses together. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Man, that's just as good as that first verse. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. He did it by sending His own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, and the righteous requirements of the law that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, sinners, that we could be righteous, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now that we've been saved, we walk according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, like we used to. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, that is fleshly minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And that verse right there ought to drive us all to our knees and thank God for His indisputable grace. He came to us. So then those who are in the flesh, now listen, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, 
but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. <laughs> we'll end there. Now, let me go back and review just a little bit. Uh, uh, in our introduction, I said, in Christ I have a legal sentence of innocence. Amen, Amen goes here. I'm going to start writing on the note. Amen goes here. I have a legal sentence of innocence. God has declared me not guilty. No condemnation. In Christ, number two, I have life of the Spirit. My friend, you didn't join a club when you... A lot of people do that. They say, well, I'm going to get saved and join the church. I want to be... A, it's not just that simple. It's not signing a card. It is a miracle that happens inside of you. You are resurrected to new life. If you don't realize that, you need to be sure you're in the faith. You're a different person when you come to Christ. And I'm going to get to that and get ahead of myself here. In Christ, number three, I have liberty from sin. Liberty from sin. You say, no, Brother Ron, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I still sin. I don't have liberty from sin. I still sin. That's right, but that sin that you do commit cannot drag you to hell. It has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has forgiven you all your sins, past, present, and future. And, that, and for a real Christian, a true Christian, that doesn't make them say, oh, then I can go live any way I want to. No, it says, man, because of that, I want to live right. I don't want to test the nails. I want to do what's right. I want to live right. I want to be righteous. If that's not the heart cry of your soul, you're not born again. I'm telling you, there's only one thing I'm looking forward to. to heaven. I'm looking for a lot. But the main thing, if God said you only have one thing promised about heaven, you only have one thing, I would choose freedom from sin, temptation, totally depravity gone. That's what I choose. That's what I choose. Now, here we go. See, you folks make me preach longer than I usually would because you get happy with me. Number one, it's in spite of the flesh, and we covered that. That's all we talked about last week, in spite of the flesh. These are five observations about a sinner being declared a saint. How in the world is it that God has come to declare us a saint? Well, number one, it's in spite of us, in spite of our flesh. My friend, you didn't run to God. You ran as fast away from Him as you could. And your flesh didn't want God, didn't want Christ, didn't want holiness, didn't want righteousness. And the law was weak in the flesh. That doesn't mean the law was weak. It, it, it just means that it, it could not save you because what the law does is show you what the standard of righteousness is and therefore shows you you don't meet it. Okay? Let me go on. Six reasons for being in, the, being in the flesh keeps us from Christ or keeps us from being in Christ. Number one, those that are in the flesh are spiritually dead. Number two, those that are in the flesh desire and do the things of the flesh. Now, these are right out of Scripture. You say, explain to me. I can't. That was last week's sermon. You can get it on our podcast on the website, AntiochEast.com, and go to From the Pulpit, and it'll lead you to all of our podcasts. You can hear every one of my sermons, and I know y'all will rush over there to hear all of of them over and over again. Anyway, okay, so those that are in the flesh are spiritually dead. That's what the verse says. The law of sin and death, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. Number 3, those that are in the flesh desire to do the things of the flesh. That's all you desire. You have no spiritual desires. Why? Because you're D-E-A-D dead spiritually. And you have no desires. Verse 5 says, those who live according to the flesh do the things of the flesh. They live according to the flesh. 
They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Number three, those that are in the flesh are enemies of God. The carnal mind is enmity with God, is not subject to the law of God. Now listen, nor indeed can be. Man, those that are in the flesh are rebellious against the commands of God. And E, those that are in the flesh cannot obey God. Now that should scare you to death if you're lost. If you have any inkling at all that you want to be saved, that ought to make you fearful. But by the way, if you have an inkling you want to be saved, that's good news. Amen. God has come to you. Yeah. Call out to Him. Trust right now. Don't even let me finish this sermon. Right now where you sit, if you'll call on the name of the Lord, He'll save you. Amen. And you'll understand these things. And it's a miracle of God that brings us to that point because we cannot obey God, nor indeed can be. That's this is plain. You don't need no Greek to understand what that means. But then verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak in the flesh. Drum roll. Look, she got so excited. She went back. <laughs> I love Riley Payne. She's the best. She's the best. No, you did good, girl. That you did. Put it on up there. God did. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. God did. She preaches better than me. I like that. God did it. God came to me when I was bound in change of my sin and had no possess, no hope within. He picked me up and he drew me gently to his side where today in him I abide. Hallelujah. God did it. That's my next main point and this is where we got to. Number two, it was initiated by God. My justification, my salvation, my sanctification, my future glorification was initiated by God. God wanted to save me. God was the one who loved. God was the one who looked. And God was the one who left glory. And God was the one who died for us so that we might be born again. His son died for us. God did it. Verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. Let's just look at it and read it from the pages. For what the law could not do and that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. I'm not condemned, but all my sin is taken away. I'm telling you, I'm about to have a spell. I, I'm about to, I wish we had our old platform back because it's not as far to the ground to jump, but I'm, I may do it anyway. God's purpose to save. First of all, that's our first point here. God's, this is not in your out. This will not be up there, Riley's not going to put this up there. You'll have to take, by the way, you get a bulletin. I didn't bring mine up here. And in the back, it has a place for notes. Use it. If you throw it away after church, that's fine. But it keeps you listening and keeps you in, involved. Number one, God's purpose to save. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace... By grace, think about it, folks. We say so much when we think about it. God's unmerited faith. Let me tell you something. If God would have ignored you and let you go to hell, he would have been righteous in doing so. Just in doing so. I hear this a lot. People say, well, God has to. God doesn't have to do anything. But he did. He did, Tim. He came and, and saved a wretched, filthy sinner like me. I know y'all looking over here. He's a preacher. That's a holy man up there. Well, good. I, I, but I want to burst your bubble. I'm not. I'm a little rotten sinner. And God saved me. Cleansed me from all of my sin and unrighteousness. Took me. Took me. And changed me. 
by grace, unmerited favor, you are saved. You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. By the way, this is really redundant. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a grace of God. You could say it like that. A free gift of God. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 2.25, in humility... I think it's talking about preaching in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. This goes to my point that God doesn't have to save you if he don't want to. Don't sit around and say, well, I'm just going to wait till one day and then I decide then I'm going to come. It may be too late. Maybe God will say then, well, I don't want to save you now. You say that would never happen. Really? You go to Proverbs 1 and read it. There's the thing of sending away your day of grace. I do believe it is. And, and I want to tell you something. Salvation is of God anyway. But I'm, don't you sit there and wait and say, I'll do it another day. You don't, you're not promised another day. And perhaps, listen to the language of Scripture, just maybe God will grant you repentance. What does that mean? That means God is God and He doesn't have to do anything but what He wants to do. And you say, well, that makes me, I don't like that. That's not a good God. Really? You're the one that sinned against Him. You're the one that rebelled against Him. You're the one that left His glory. You're the one that has mocked His righteousness. Again, in 1 Corinthians 30, but of Him are you in Christ Jesus. And yet, in spite of our rebellion, He does come to us. He does offer salvation to everyone that has ever been born. He does offer salvation. But look at 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. The gospel is according to, listen, not the power of my preaching, not the power of Tim's even praying, not the power of our music, not the power of this church's uh, stature or wealth or whatever. By the power of God, the gospel comes to people who has saved us and called us with a special holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. You were saved before time began. Over and over in the scripture that is taught. Why is that? Because God is God. God is not the God. Time means nothing to him. And he says that this happened to us before time began. Salvation is a fruit of God's eternal love, God's infinite mercy, and His ever-existing, never-ending grace. Theistic evolution says that God, yes, there is a God, and he, what He did is he, put the, he wound the world up, put it in motion, into existence, and then into motion, and the rest has come about by evolution. Like a man standing at uh, uh, spinning and starting a top spinning and watching it as it moves and spins and maybe every once in a while touching it to see it wobble and convulse. That is heretical nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. 
heretical nonsense and a rejection of Bible truth. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, there it is again, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto adoption as children by Jesus Christ to himself. Listen, he did this. The salvation, all the things that happen in this church and in this world, according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 1 9 having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself not by some forcing faith or merit God looked down through time and he knew what was going to happen no God looked down through time and said what was going to happen According to these scriptures, Ephesians 1.11, you listen to this. This ought to settle. If it doesn't, you just want to reject God's sovereignty. Ephesians 1.11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. Now listen, who works all things according to what? The counsel of his will. That ought to settle it right there. Listen to Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. Now listen, you may not like things I'm saying, so listen to God. Here he is. He's speaking. And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. If you're a lover of God, that ought to excite your soul. And God is sovereign. He does what he wants to. He, He goes in and out the way he wants to. He said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. And yet, this God, who can do whatever he wants to, has come down, down to this little spot in the country, outside of Magnolia, Arkansas, down the road of 82, up 25, stopping short of 11, and came down right here on this red brick building, and today God has come to you. Don't you dare reject him today. He may not do it again. And he has every right. He doesn't doesn't have to come today, but he has. I want to tell you, your salvation is initiated and done and purposed and planned and done by God. There There is not one thing that has happened or will happen that he does not know about. And listen, not because he saw that it would happen, but because he declared it to happen. It is God that came running to us, not we running to him. We ran as fast as we could away from him. And God came to us. God came to us. Grace, mercy, love unexplainable. Why? How why, Brother Ron, does God love us? Listen, that's a sermon for a smarter man than me to preach. He just says he does. Hallelujah. That's God's purpose, but then God's plan, verse 3, by sending His Son. 
Why? Why did, he do, why did he have to send Christ? Because that's the only way your sins could be paid for. See, God, we always want to talk about God so loving, God so loving, God so loving. And he is. But I want to tell you, before you say that, you have to say, God's so just, God's so just, God's so just, God's so righteous, God's so righteous. Nobody's sin gets swept under the carpet. Nobody's sin gets ignored. Every sin you've ever thought, done, practiced, must be paid for. And the penalty of the sin, the Bible says the wages, the payment for sin is eternal death. Separation from God forever. Every little white lie. Separated from God forever. But God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took the punishment for my sin. He took the guilt for me. The sinless took on sin. Died as a sinner. He wasn't a sinner, but He died as one. And He took our place. He took the robe of His justice off, took on the rags of our sin, and died as if He was the criminal when He, was actually, should have been the, when he actually should have been the judge. And He died in your place. And the Bible says... In Romans 6, 23, we've already studied this, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through your good works, you don't have any. Not through your good looks, you don't have any. That amount to salvation. But you're all good looking to me. You don't have enough money you can't even pay for the house on your, on your uh, uh, asphalt driveway, let alone streets of golden gates of pearl. And besides that is the righteousness factor. You have none. But, uh, the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid for it all and He gives it freely to those who come to Him by faith. And then, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, it's simple. Thou shalt be saved. That's the King James. You will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know how we know if someone really gets saved? They don't mind telling it. Amen. They sing with me. Gone, gone, my sins are gone. And they're glad of it. I tell you, number two, let me go back here and get in my outline. Let me see, Riley. You got it up there. In spite of the flesh, it's initiated by God, and it's by the intercession of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look at verse 3, uh, last of verse 3. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned to sin in the flesh. Jesus interceded for us. He stood in front of the oncoming car. He pushed us away from the precipice. He kicked away the snake. That's a good illustration. The devil. And he, he stood in between us and he interceded. Christ was not made a sinner. He never sinned. Christ was considered a sinner though. He took our sins upon himself. He did not die for his own sins. He, he had none. He died for our sin. He took the guilt upon himself which was ours. People who realize that have a little shout in them. Have a little step in them. Have a little joy in them. Have a little tear in them. When you realize what Christ has done for you. He did not die for his own sins. He died for yours. Number four. It's also because of the imputation of Christ. He didn't just take away our sin. He gave us 
his righteousness. <laughs> Why in the world? I understand doing it for Christy, but not for me. I don't know why in the world he'd do that for me. None of us believe that. We deserve salvation. But he did. He gave us freely his righteousness. That's why you can't lose your salvation. It's the silliest thing in the world to teach that you can lose your salvation. How can you lose something that, that's not yours? It's God's. He gave it to you. It's a gift. It's a gift. We're not going to heaven by our good works. And if you believe you can lose your salvation by sinning, if you, lose, if you believe you can lose your salvation by sinning, you do not believe in salvation by grace. You believe you're going to heaven because of your good works. Maybe in the back door, but you still believe you're going to heaven by your good works. And if that's true, it's none of grace. It can't be both. No, my friend, the righteousness that I'm going to heaven on is not my own. It's not what I've done. It's what Christ has done. Therefore, I am saved and secured forever. While in Christ's death, He took our sins in His sinless, sinless life and His resurrection, He gave us His righteousness. And the last thing is this, the influence of Christ. My friend, Jesus didn't just save you to sit soak and sour, and you will not if you're truly saved. If you're not a person that has a great desire in your life to serve God, to do something for Christ, to be a witness, to read your Bible, to pray, you may not always do it good and you may pray, but if you don't have the desire to live holy and righteous and do what God says, you're not saved. And you don't get saved because you want to do those things. If you get saved, it makes you want those things. Now let me prove it to you. Look at verse 5. B, the middle of this verse, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God in you and your spirit has been regenerated by Christ, you are a new person and you have new desires and new goals and new hopes. One commentator said, God does not free men from their sin in order, that, uh, order for them to do as they please, but to do as He pleases. As sure as our redemption and as sure as our forgiveness and as sure as our citizenship in heaven is the fact that those who are saved are changed and live a new life, have new desires, submit to new Lord and submit to a new word. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. I am not going to have to beg you to be faithful to church and to God if you know Christ. Amen. Now, are there seasons of uh, backsliddenness? Seasons. And I think they're short seasons. And yes, I do believe it because I've practiced it myself a time or two. But they won't last because you have the Spirit of God in you. It's like the dove that Noah sent out of the ark. She went, and the Bible says she found no rest for the sole of her feet. And she returned, now listen to what the Bible says, into him, into the ark. I think it's a great picture of a Christian who gets out in the world, gets a little too far, and gets sick on the dead carcasses of the world and comes back to God. Comes back to God, and you will. 1 Thessalonians 1 9, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entering in we had. This is Paul. He said, We came to Thessalonica, we preached the gospel, and we know what kind of entering in we had to you. How you turn to God, that's faith, from idols, that's repentance. Now listen, to serve the living and true God, that's the fruit of it. 
to serve the Lord. He says, we know you're saved not because you tell us some date, not because you tell us some experience. We know you turn to God and from idols because you are right now serving the living and true God. It's called sanctification, and it will happen to you. 1 John 2, 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And those words in there and the phrasing in the Greek tend to show us that it means a practice of life. We all sin. We all stumble. We still have this flesh. We've preached about this in Romans. Paul mentioned it. Oh, wretched man they am who will deliver us from the sin. Thanks be to God that Christ has. But you will not live in a continual state of rebellion against God. Listen, these people that are not coming to church and refuse to come to church and have been out of church for months and years, it's not, listen, they're not born again because they have no fruit of repentance and faith. And we need to go out to them. That's what Paul said about the man that was sinning in Corinth. He, said, he called him a so-called brother. In other words, he's saying he may not even be saved acting like he was acting. And in love with tears, we should pursue these people and say, please be reconciled to God. But I'm telling you, if you're born again, hallelujah, one thing God does to you is he changes not only the way that you were, but he changes the way that you walk. Look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. That's why you want to come to church and serve God and do something and to be a witness and read your Bible and go to Bible studies and do better and better yourself and overcome the sin that you do struggle with. That's the why you want the... It didn't come from your own good heart. It came from God regenerating your dead spirit. That's a good sign, isn't it? God declares us justified, not guilty. He declares us not guilty. And He declares us righteous based on His work, the Father's plan, the Son's purchase, and the Spirit's power to regenerate dead souls. 